Cricket Life Stories with me, Neil Kagram. Today we're joined by Charles Dagnall. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, very well. It's a busy time, uh, but uh, it's uh, very nice to, to join you and, uh, and have, well, have, have 10 minutes off or maybe an hour off. Who knows uh, how long it's, it's going to be. But um, yeah, just actually, if I'm being brutally honest, I'm sat on my sofa with my legs up with computer on lap and I don't envisage changing my position for the next four hours or so. So maybe a bit of bass playing uh, and practice on my guitar. I theoretically should go for a bike ride for exercise, but the, the, the spirit is willing. The flesh, I'm afraid, is a little bit weak at the moment. So I'm more than happy to be talking to you with my feet up. No, I appreciate it. I know you're a busy man. So let's take it all the way back with yourself. You were born in Bury. You played yeah. representative cricket for Lancashire. But just talk us through how you got into the sport, your love of the game and your earliest memories. Well, it, it kind of fell for me because I was a bit crap at everything else. That was the that was the kind. Of, I was like a Billy, you know, all sports, loved sport. All my family were actually, my brothers and sisters were musicians, and they, they were born um, within a year of each other. Then there was a five year gap. Then me. Now, um, my parents like to say that I was carefully thought about. Who knows? Uh, it sounds like it sounds like a, a mistake, but. Um, I, they were all music mad and so I couldn't really join in with them because I was a lot younger so I decided you know because I liked sports um, that I would get into it and you know like any kid playing football and cricket and, and you know we didn't really play rugby um, up north but, but anything from snooker and darts and you know if there was a ball or athletics anything just got involved and even though I enjoyed football you know, I, was, I was one of those big men up front type of things because I was always sort of quite sizable cricket was something that just struck a chord in the heart and I used to go down to my local club at Heaton Cricket Club in, in Bolton um, and from there I realized I was I was okay at it you know I had good hand-eye coordination but just loved the intricacies of the game and obviously as a kid you don't get to know that as much as as when you're a little bit older but just the thrill of bowling i used to love bowling and bowling trying to bowl quick and whacking the ball out of the park and you know that time it was ian botham who was doing it and you saw him on the telly and you wanted to replicate what he did um and it sort of grew from there and when you find yourself getting better you have some winter nets and you find yourself improving and that's where it's sort of um it, it, it's you know it, it's sort of every level that you got to inspire you to go a little bit further. So, yeah, I, I it, it was something that the the other thing was was hearing people talk about the game from a very young age, the way that people had the passion for the game, even at club level, grassroots level, and they talked about it with almost some reverence, really. Uh, about the importance of the game and, and little moments and intricacies of it that and nuances that, that really sort of you could see it oozing out of each and every pore of them and I thought my god you know you don't you don't necessarily get this in other games um, and so that was what was really poignant from my perspective is that, that the way that these people talked about the game whether it be at local level or international level it was something that connected a lot of people and I was a sociable sort anyway and I liked to chat and, and you know even from an early age I was lucky because I didn't play it at school I was club cricket so I and 
you know, when I started getting better at, at 12, 13 years old, you know, I started playing first team cricket 13, 14 years old and you were with blokes. You know, you were mixing with blokes who had been working all week at whatever, you know, job that they did, whether they worked in the local insurance company or they worked as a plumber or they, you know, it didn't matter. Blue collar and white collar came together. Um, and then there was me as some 13-year-old called Charles who spoke a bit like this. And I was in, you know, a grown men's dressing room. And they would store and then, you know, they'd swear and they'd drink and this was a completely new life. And it was that camaraderie within the dressing room that made me want even more of it. So that was basically how it, the love of the game started, is with sort of not only just playing it, but mixing with people who had a passion for the game. And that's where it grew and it, it you know, some would say spiralled out of control. Now, you know, the game is all-encompassing and is every part of me but uh, but yeah that that's where I really started and do you think you know you just touched it in there is, is that why you believe cricket is a unique sport compared to others in terms of kids growing up because yeah. you are integrating with people that are much at different levels of their own life um, and it kind of aids maturity in certain people would that be a fair comment I think it's an absolutely fair comment it is there is no sport like it you know when you consider the time it takes, you know, you could you could play a game of tennis for three hours, you play around a round of golf for five hours. Yes, there is a social aspect to it, but you're an individual, it's an individual sport. You, you play team sports, rugby lasts 80 minutes, football 90 minutes, it's something that lasts all day. And then, you know, the social aspect, of course. Um, and you get everybody from all walks of life, and that's why you find, you know, find out about personalities. And, and I mentioned, blue and white collar but it's you know especially in Bolton at that time there was every race every creed every color every religion you you name it they all came together for this one sport um and those different backgrounds I've, I felt at the time even even growing up it was a very accepting background and plus there's of course there was the banter and, and you know within the dressing rooms and uh, the humor sometimes very dark humor sometimes you know insulting and sarcastic and and it was just that it was the as a as a kid i didn't get involved in that at all because i wasn't quick enough i wasn't experienced enough and i was like the team punch bag if you like you know everyone would take the mick out of me um because i was the youngest and i had no comeback whatsoever because you know i didn't have the humor or the experience that they did but it taught you so much um and even now going talking about the professional game you know the i remember when i was when i was playing leicestershire there was times where you didn't go home for a month you know you're on the road all the time the only time you did come back was to to you know see your girlfriend or your wife and wash your kit and off you go again and that's now there are positives and negatives to that but taken the right way um there is nothing like it. You have 11 blokes living out of each other's pockets for six months. To replicate that in any other team's unique in that fact that, that the time spent together within a team is, um, is most unusual when you compare it with other sports. And then in terms of getting into the Lancashire setup, I know you <laughs> went through the levels, you got the... I believe you got the under 19 player of the year award and you also played 
minor counties cricket for Cumberland. Talk us through how you kind of made the step up in levels and that uh, just before kind of getting into the professional game full time. Well, mine is, is a, a, a quite a, well, it is. It's, it's, it's a unique story in the sense that I did it in a slightly different way to everybody else. So when you're going through the age groups, um, you know, I found myself, I was sort of on the fringes when it was under 13s, but I worked so hard in the winter times when other kids were actually playing football and rugby and all the rest of it. I was actually playing cricket indoors. So working on my skills, developing my game, because I didn't play those sports particularly well. Um, so I was getting, you know, people were at one level and I was down here. And then I started getting to the same level and then beyond them within the space of maybe between six months and, and 18 months. And that was only due to the fact that I was just, just playing cricket. So I won the under-19 player of the year. But before that, I turned pro at club level. So I turned pro at 17 years old, I was, um, at a club called Astley and Tilsley Collieries. 30 quid a game uh, on a Saturday. And as a pro... I was very young to turn pro, um, but that was at a club level, not, not not county level. So you would expect to, they basically expected you to do everything. So I bowled 25 overs uh, in one spell on a Saturday. I bowled 25 overs in one spell on a Sunday, bat three, and they would kind of expect you to win the game from, you know, with a little assistance elsewhere. So it was a, a really interesting learning curve. I think that possibly maybe why I had injury problems down the line. But, you know, when I exchange it, no, not not one bit of it. I absolutely loved it. I was only happy if I was bowling anyway. And you were more involved in the game. But a lot of players of the year at Lanks Under-19, excellent research by you, by the way, um, is that they used to basically then go on and get contracted by Lancashire. No, I didn't. And I was gutted. I was devastated you know I've been a Lancashire player my entire life and was hoping that they would sign me on and they didn't and I and I thought wow my sort of world was blown apart by because by that stage cricket was everything even though I was in education and I went to university and the, and the like the, what I actually wanted to do was become a professional cricketer so then I thought right well if Lanks aren't going to take me on I'm not going to stop trying and so I actually hold a record um, over the next three years, whilst I was at university, I trialled for uh, 13 separate counties. And when I say trialled, I actually played games, second 11 games, for 13 separate counties. Those I didn't play for, I actually played against. So all 18 counties looked at me. And um, I still didn't get a contract. And I don't know what it was, whether I, I you know, whether I wasn't good. I, I mean, obviously doubts start to creep in. You think, oh my God, I'm not good enough. But I always kind of believed I was good enough, just needed something to, to help me along. And you mentioned minor counties. That was great. I mean, I loved playing minor counties cricket because that was, it was really good standard. The best club cricketers of the area plus former pros. So, you know, I'd speak to them and talk to them and they would say, look, keep going. You are good enough. And it was nice to have their backing. And then my final year of university, I was going to give it up. I was going to sort of say, right, that's it. Go and get a job. Uh, and pro at the weekends at clubs and against their better judgment um I <laughs> Warwickshire took me on uh, after having you know a really good run of games in the second 11 and they saw something in me probably 
it was the uh, insistence and the fact that I wouldn't let it drop that they, they, they thought, well, maybe there's something here to work with. And they took me on. And that was, honestly, that was one of the best days of my life, you know, finally realising a dream to, to play professional cricket. So it was that persistence that paid off in the end. Um, and also, you know, I didn't want to be laughed at in a sense that, you know, so I kept asking people, am I, you know, am I good enough to do this? And, and you know, you ask the right people and you're not looking for praise. You, you're looking for people to be honest. If someone had turned around and go, Daggers, you know what? I don't think you've got it. I don't think you're at the level and or could get to the level. I would have gone, you know what? Fair enough. I respect your opinion. And I would have spoken to the right people, but I always wanted to do it. And, um, would have been gutted had I not got the chance to at least play for a year. All I needed was that someone to, to take a chance, and then it was up to me. Um, and Warwickshire did um, back in ninety, whenever it was. Um, and uh, and so yeah, that was so it was a convoluted route to get there, but I got there eventually. And and you know, obviously, it was I'm delighted to do so. Even though, and right then, I made the made the decision that you know. Langs didn't take a chance on me, so and Warwickshire did. So they're my county. They are my county, and and I treated them as home. Um, and uh, and I'm glad I did because you know they 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 took a punt. So if an if you if a youngster came up to you, kind of going through a similar kind of scenario, you know, coming through an academy system in a county and being released, yeah. would your advice be just keep going? The persistence. Yeah. Yeah. Continual yeah, the, you know, perseverance, practice, belief in yourself. Would that totally right? And and you know what? And maybe you're good enough, and maybe you're not, and maybe the timing's right, and maybe it's not. But you know, always counties needed bowlers. So so you know, I signed as an all-rounder. Um, you know, because I, I used to not that you'd look at my first class record and know it, but you know, I used to be able to bat as well, and, and I would bat five, six in the in the second team and score decent runs. But it was, you know, they always needed bowlers, um, even even ones that weren't the finished article. And but it was more about character. I think they saw the character, um, and it was one of you know, always give me the ball, I'll get them out. You know, I don't care how many overs I bowl, I'll bowl. You know, always wanting to bowl, always want. But if you, you know, I, I, what I don't like is sort of passive. Um, you know, oh, I've tried. What have you done? Well, you know, I wrote to someone. No, no, that you've not tried. Get on the phone. Get a county second eleven coach on the phone. Say, can I come and see you? Can you come and look at me? Or can I come and play for you? Can I come down for a net? That's persistence. That's what I was doing. You know, I, I believed it. My dad was a salesman originally, and he'd be on at me. You know, do you want it? And I'd be, yeah, yeah. He said, get on the phone. You know, like he would to try and make a sale. It's very difficult when you're 18 years old to turn around to a county second eleven coach who's probably been there and done it for a long, long time and say, look at me, look at me, I'm really good. It's you know, it's not easy to blow one's own trumpet, but had it not been for my dad sort of suggesting that, then, you know, it's, it's easy to write an email. It's easy to write an email because, um, you know, it, you're not in, in personal contact with that coach. And also, it's very easy for a coach to write back and go, oh, thanks very much, but, 
you know, we're all right at the moment. That's an easy thing to do. It's a lot more difficult to say no when someone's on the phone and they're talking to you. So it's, and that is an old sales technique that my dad told me about. Then when you get there and are in front of them, then that's up to you. You know, you might have an absolute shocker and you go, well, do you know what? I wouldn't sign me after that one. You know, if you've none for 100 after 20 overs and you get a, a first baller, then no one's going to sign you. But, um, but you, you know, you, you just want to get the opportunity of being in front of someone, uh, in front of a county coach or go for a trial net. And, you know, you just hope that it's your day on those particular days. So I would advise, you know, don't, don't email, you know, don't text someone get on the phone that county coaches love nothing more than someone who's proactive who's confident enough to actually make the effort it shows them that you know that player wants it and that in itself is a little victory and then when you actually get the opportunity playing in these second 11 games do you have to be mentally strong because ah. i asked that question because you're playing there must be similar players like yourself trying to get the gig, the, con the contract, you've got first 11 players that might be dropping down into second 11 cricket, you know, trying to get a bit of form, almost playing for their own contract. So, you know, not pe many people talk about that, but uh, do, you, do you have to be mentally strong? Because it's kind of a doggy dog situation at times. Without you know what? That is a great question. Really good question. So it depends. And that's why I think at Warwickshire, um, and that's why I think I got the contract at Warwickshire. Because you're right. Not only are you one of maybe one or two trialists that's in the side, but you're trying to basically take somebody else's job who might be within the side that you're playing. So there is an awkwardness to it. They're not necessarily, sometimes you'd walk into dressing rooms and they just wouldn't be very nice. And they would make you feel, and so I was made to feel sort of either inferior or like I didn't belong. No, I loved the feeling of belonging in a team. I loved being part of the team. So that was very alien to me. I wasn't quite sure how to take it. And until I realized that, and then I could then sort of say, well, don't worry about it. But I did worry about it. Probably in the first two years of trialing, I did worry about it. Um, because I was, I, I didn't understand. Why, why is this bloke who's in my team not being very nice to me? Why is he... Um, uh, why is he offish? Why, you know, why might or is he dropped to catch? Because you know, I might get a wicket, and all these sort of demons start to to sort of play on you. Not that it, it, you know, but did it affect my game a bit? Possibly, maybe, you know, because I wanted to feel part of the team. That's what anyone does. Now, slightly different are the senior pros who come down into the second team, and they're pretty secure. With their, with their job, if you like. And um, so they're not worrying about contract. They're more helpful, if you like. But then I trialed at Warwickshire and these were the standard of players that were in the twos. I was in my first game and they were going through a little bit of a transitional period. So in the second team, Dominic Ostler, Trevor Penny, David Hemp, uh, Andy Moles, who was the captain, who was just sort of retiring and going into towards coaching. Gladstone Small, Tim Munton, Keith Piper, did I mention him? 
uh, most shake. This is a, this was a side who all of those players were either not worried about their contracts, not worried that you know, and and or on their way out, and they kind of knew it, like Gladdy and Tim and, and, and Andy Moles. So I walked into this side, and everyone was really welcoming. They just made you feel at ease. And I probably then felt at ease, good enough to, to, um, uh, to, to play my best cricket. And I actually know now what got me the contract, which is interesting. So we were playing against Essex at, um, so yes, to answer your question, it is a dog-eat-dog type of thing. You've got to ignore it. You've got to, if you're a youngster going into that sort of environment, whether it happens nowadays, I don't know. Um, but when I was playing, it definitely did. And especially at the Lancashire, you know, the Lancashire one, you know, that I felt more uncomfortable in my own county against people who I used to play with than turning and making me feel uncomfortable that i just didn't understand whatsoever and i was thinking why why are you being like this I, you know and you know it's not very good behavior if i'm brutally honest but you know be, be that as it may that's what they did so i remember playing my first game at warwickshire twos and playing with all these you know legends if you like because they they were the team of the 90s you know, all of these players from the team of the 90s are in the second team. I go, what the hell's going on? What am I doing playing with all these dudes? And it was the second innings. I bowled all right in the first innings. And Andy Moles was the captain. And um, I knew I'd bowled all right in the first innings. And we were doing a, a fielding drill at warm-ups. And it was simple, throwing, throwing the ball at a stump. And I knocked the stump down and was like, got a bit sort of mouthy. And Moller turned around and said, Oi, remember, you're nothing in this team. Remember that. And it was sort of like, yeah, all right, if he's telling me that, just shut up. It was his way of saying, just pipe down a little bit. You're doing all right. Just, you know, focus on your, focus on your game. And that was his way. It was brilliant. He, an amazing man, Andy Balls. And we were bowling in the second innings. And he was in at short leg. And at this one, I used to have some pace. And um, he said, right, I'm going to bring myself out. And I said to him, Mullen, do you mind? I think I'm going to get him. I think I'm going to get him there. Do you mind staying in? Now, it took a lot for me, a trialist, to turn around to someone who played, you know, 20 years of county cricket, who averaged 40 in first-class cricket and had got the experience of him, to turn around and say, I think, I think I'm going to get him there. And he went, all right, I'll stay in. And I got him caught sh short leg next ball believe it or not, like called Tim Phillips. And Mola apparently walked off at tea, turned around to the coach and went, sign him. And I didn't know this at the time. And I had to play another four or five trial games and one for Essex before I got told I was getting a contract. But apparently that was the moment that, that got me a contract. So, you know, but I didn't know that till way, way afterwards. And how would you sum up your time with Warwickshire and then specifically... Uh, opening the bowling alongside the great Alan Donald. Oh. Well, I like to tell AD that I softened him up for him, um, and <laughs> which always makes him chuckle. You know, he's thundering down at ninety miles an hour, and I'm just lolloping in at about seventy-eight, and and uh, and just swinging it. Put it this way: there was a queue of batsmen waiting to face me, as opposed to uh, to him. I loved Warwickshire. It, 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 
hurt me to leave. Um, I learned so much. Just the most welcoming and warm county from the backroom staff to the marketing department to everyone. I just loved it there. Um, great people, brilliant pro. I just cannot speak highly enough of that club. Um, they still make a fuss when I go back, um, which is lovely. And, and you know, the members as well, had, had an, even though I was there for a short time, I had a real kinship with them. Yeah, you know, I had long hair and they thought I was a bit of a character. And I always, I just loved playing with them. And AD was as brilliant an overseas pro as you could ever wish. He was helpful. Nothing was too much trouble. He was humble. Yeah, I remember him carrying the drinks for us. You know, this is one of the best bowlers that's ever played the game. And he carried the drinks as 12th man when he couldn't be part of the side. And you just went, wow. You know, that taught you a lot about how to be, uh, uh, you know, a great player and how to be humble in the game. And I thought that was a real, you know, that was a real eye-opener eye for me. And I was, I didn't want to leave, but I wanted to play more. I was predominantly uh, a white ball cricketer and had a little bit of a sniff of four-day four stuff. And uh, I wanted to, all I wanted to know was, was I good enough? You know, was I good enough to play um, all forms of cricket? I'd done well in white ball cricket for Warwickshire, really well, opening the bowling. And um, I was having such a great time, but I wanted to play more and just know it. Now, as it, as it happened at the time, Leicestershire came in and said, look, we want, we want to sign you. Um, and I was in the middle of a two-year deal. So I went to, so I did, I like to think I did things the right way. I went to the captain, Michael Powell, spoke to him, went to the, had dinner with the um, chairman of the cricket committee, Andrew Lloyd. I spoke to Bob Wilmer and I spoke to the chief executive and said, look, I'd like to play more. I'm not being deaverish. I'm not, be, I'm not saying I want a permanent spot in the side, but do you think there'll be an opportunity? Because another county is going to give me that opportunity. And Bob Wilmer said, you know, I'm okay with you leaving. If you want to leave, I'm okay with you leaving. Powley wasn't as open to, to me going, uh, nor was Dennis Amish, the chief executive, but he sort of said, you know, Bob said it's okay, so we're happy for you to talk to Leicestershire. I went, great, thanks so much, you know. And I like to think that I left in the right way. Put it this way, no one held any grudges against me leaving Warwickshire. It was very important to me because they'd given me their you know, the first opportunity. Weirdly, on the day that I was about to sign for Leicestershire, and I'd given them my word that I was going to sign, and I was driving over to Leicester, I get a phone call in the car. It's Dennis Amos. And I went, hello, Chief. How are you doing, the Chief Executive? And he said, Daggers, I've been thinking. He said, I don't think you should go. We don't want you to go. And I said, Dennis, what? I've given these people my word that I'm going to sign for them. Well, why could why today? Why you know if you just said it three or four days ago, no worries, I would have stayed. But why today? I said I can't do that to Leicester now. I've given you know, and he just said oh, we do, we just don't we think you'll get your opportunity. We just don't we don't want you to go. Now now as it turned out, you know I don't think it would have made any difference. But it was nice you know them to sort of say that. But I couldn't let Leicester down. Now that I told them that I would. So my time at Warwickshire was brilliant and I cannot speak highly enough of that club.
briefly talk back on, say, Alan Donald. And you obviously see it, you see it now. A lot of, given the whole... in. The different the different formats of the game. A lot of overseas players come and go. For like a for a home player, what advice would you give in terms of you know getting that kind of information from these kind of elite players? Do you would you say just look what they do in terms of the way they train and prepare by observing? Would you ask them lots of questions? What would your what would your opinions? What are your opinions on that? What would your advice be? My advice is this: talk to them. Talk to them. The amount of kids I see, right? I didn't learn cricket in the nets. I learned listening to them in the bar. And I, I'll tell you a story. We were playing against, I was playing for Leicestershire against New Zealand uh, in the, you know, one of the warm up games for, 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 for New Zealand. And Chris Cairns was playing for New Zealand in the war. So, so and I bowled well, got Fleming out, got McCullum out. I was doing, you know, this was when I'd sort of really got to grips with county cricket and I knew what kind of bowler I was. And, and Philip De Freitas helped me with that in a huge way. But the, the person who had the best slower ball in the world was Chris Cairns. Yeah. So I said to and I knew him because he played at Knotts and stuff. So I said to him, I said, Cairns, have you got two minutes at tea? He went, yeah, of course you have text. So I, we went into the physio's room. He said, what can I do for you? I said, can you show me how to bowl your slower ball? And he said, yeah, no one's ever asked me before. I went, you are? He said, no, no one's ever asked me how I do it. Now, this is a guy who made Chris Reed look a fool in a test match with a slower ball. No one has asked him how he does it. My advice to kids is go and seek them out. Talk to them. You will never, ever, ever get a professional cricketer with huge amounts of experience turn around and say no they will they might say oh give us five minutes and yeah you're i'm all yours and now and ask them speak to them talk to them the other thing is if you see a group of experienced cricketers talking and you're a youngster especially if you're on the staff go and sit near them they'll not tell you to shoot don't sit near them, don't say anything, just listen to them talk cricket. Because their knowledge is so superior, you can glean so much from them as a, a young player. And don't, you know, if they involve you, get involved. But other than that, just sit and listen. Listen to old players talk, because you learn more there than you ever would. In, in any other circumstance. That's my advice. And then obviously the move from Warwickshire to Leicester, apart from the, you know, the general, like the difference in terms of the stadia and the backroom staff, what were the main differences and how did you find that adaptation? It, well, you mentioned those things. Apart from that, they were a big thing. You know, Warwickshire was a huge club, a big test match club with big staff and lots of people there. Well, you know, Leicestershire had like, eight staff and that was it um and so everybody knew anything i found you know at warwickshire if there was any politics involved in warwickshire i never saw it or heard it everything at leicestershire you heard and saw because it was such a smaller county um i again i loved my time at leicestershire there were good moments about i started getting injuries 
Um, my first year at Leicester, I had a hip problem, which needed an operation. Um, but essentially, um, I so so at Warwickshire, I signed uh, on the same day as my best mate, Alan Richardson. And, you know, that was another reason leaving Warwickshire was tough because my best mate played for him as well. And I didn't, you know, we, had, we were so close. So that was tough. Moving to Leicestershire, I then picked up another true, true friend who I still keep in touch with to this day and who is godfather to my child, and that's Philip Defratus. And we were thick as thieves, me and Dad. Uh, and I would put down my success, albeit very limited success, to him. I turned up at Leicestershire, and I wasn't still finished article. And I went through a sort of period of two years, sort of not knowing what was going on as a, as a cricketer. I, I, I seemed sort of directionless. And it was basically him who took me by the scruff of the neck and sort of said, look, what do you want to be? What do you want to get out of this? You know, do you want to be a sort of quick bowler? Do you want to be... And, and, and he asked me all these questions. I went, do you know what? This is what I want to be. And he went, right, let's do it. And it was only due to him that I got county cricket. I understood it, what it took, what I needed to do. It, he gave me a belief in myself. I still felt, because of my entrance into county cricket, still felt like there was an area of me that was, was I good enough? You know, every time I held the ball, oh, Robin Smith's coming into that. Oh, he, well, he's an England player. He's better than me, kind of thing. There was still that in the back of my mind. You never gave that off, but that was always there. It was that sense of belonging that Gaffey instilled into me, saying, yeah, you are good enough. You've got the skills. And then suddenly you start to believe it yourself a little bit. And then a, a new confidence is found. Plus, we worked hard on my game as well. And that was purely down to him. Also, you know, people like Lloyd Tennant and Phil Whittacase, who were the coaches there at Leicestershire. And they were, they were brilliant. They got short shrift, I thought. I thought Phil Whittacase was very badly treated at Leicestershire. But he was a really good coach. Um, and we talked and, you know, that, that gave us that confidence and instilled in me. And by 2000, end of 2003, 2004, I got it. And I felt like I was a really good county bowler. Um, and you know, I was probably never going to make the next step up. But, you know, I was swinging it both ways. I was bowling at reasonable pace, you know, rather than getting people caught at mid-off and mid-on. You know, I was nicking them off and getting them LB and I was becoming a canny cricketer. Um, and that was all down to, really, Philip Freitas. Um, and we also had a good time. You know, me, Daffy and Darren Maddy, you know, we were, uh, we were thick as thieves. And, uh, you know, I used to... Uh, it was always, we'd, we'd, we'd be in the shower room having a smoke and, you know, just going, you know, talking about the day. And, and yeah, it was, that, was, that was my experience at Leicestershire. But, yeah, it being a smaller county, it was, you know, it was different. Um, you know, we had some great times when we won the, the 2020 Cup and, um, you know, we had, we had a giggle. Overall, we weren't very good side, but... You know, there, there were some really good moments in there as well. And then injuries, I know you touched on it a bit earlier, but you retired at 28. Do you think it was a result of over-bowling? And when I mean over-bowling, I don't really, I'm not specifically saying in just whilst you're a professional. Do you think even from a young age? I don't yeah, know probably. have, you know, limits 
on how many overs they can bowl. But in your opinion, do you think? Well, don't get me started on that. Um, but uh, I think, look, I think there's a really happy uh, a happy balance to be found with with youngsters. Um, sometimes I think they're coddled a little bit too much. Your body has got to get. And uh, now I'm not a scientist, and you know, sports scientists will turn around and, to me and say, "Well, you don't know what you're talking about." And in essence, they kind of they're, they're right. I think your body has to get used to fast bowling. Now, I probably did too much, and I think there's a balance to be found. At the moment, I think they, they, I don't like this seven overs on, seven overs off thing, and I think that restricts your development as a bowler. I don't mind the amount of overs in a game that a youngster can bowl, so I think they can bowl 14 overs. I would be of the opinion you can bowl those 14 overs anytime. You know, that's all you're allowed to bowl as a youngster. Um, Maybe a, a, with a maximum spell of 10, perhaps. Uh, because I think your body does have to get used to it. You know, if you're a young bowler, you bowl seven overs and you're three for 10, you know, to get having to get dragged off. Well, I want to see that bowler, you know, in a, in a pro situation, <laughs> you're staying on, kid. You're staying on, you've ripped through the top order. So your body does have to get used to, to the workload. But yes, there is a an element of balance that has to be struck so i so i was bowling that amount of overs 25 over spells you know there was a period when i was 19 uh sorry when i was 20 where warwickshire twos had no bowlers so i was bowling 50 overs a, a, in a second team game and then i would go back and play for my club and bowl 25 overs 70, you know there was a period of six weeks where i probably bowled 600 overs you know that's too much but I wanted a contract. So I did. You know, as soon as the ball get, got past me, yeah, I'll bowl, not a problem. I might be knackered and it might be ruining my body, but I want to bowl. Now, a lot of former sportsmen are a bit sour at the sport because of, um, you know, the amount they were asked to, oh, we didn't have this and I, we didn't have that. You won't get that from me. Not at all. You know, as a sportsman, and especially as a bowler, what can happen to you in later life? The stresses and strains that you put on your body, completely your choice. That is your choice. It's up to you whether you want that or not. And understand the risks going in of what can happen. Okay? So I understood the risks. You know, I had to retire at 28 because my shins were so bad. I got horrible compartment syndrome had operations on both of them. I had two contracts on the table at the back end of 2005. And in January, when I still was struggling to walk on a treadmill, I turned them down. I said, I'm sorry, I can't sign the contract. I would not sign a contract, even though they were happy for me to sign, if I couldn't earn my money. So they were fixed took two years on. But by then I was out of the game. You know, I've been doing other things. And, um, you know, I... I, I it, it just didn't seem right at, at that time of my life for me. In March, just six months ago, I uh, had a complete prosthetic knee put in. Um, and that would have been due down to my bowling. I've had an arthritic knee for seven years. I've not been able to play with my daughter properly, you know, bounce on trampolines and go running or whatever. I've not been able to. All of that is down to probably the amount that I bowled as a youngster. Am I sour about it? No, not really. You know, I'm sour for my daughter that 
you know, she can't, you know, her dad's always had, you know, a dodgy knee and can't do certain things. But I'm a sour at cricket for it. No. No. My choice. My choice. You know, should I have built up my leg muscles more? Maybe. You know, should I have bowled less or been more adamant, you know, as a youngster not to bowl as much? Yeah, maybe. But you don't do that. You don't. If someone's turning around to you and asking you to bowl, <laughs> I don't want to be the guy that says no. So, um, you know what? That's life. And, and I'm quite happy with that. It's one of those things. And believe it or not, you know, as it's, as it's turned out, it's probably turned out for the best. But, you know, it's, it's don't get sour at your sport. Don't, don't be, oh, well, you know, I shouldn't have bowled that much. And it's his fault that I've got. No, it's not. It's not. If you don't like it, don't do it. And then the move into media post-playing. I know you had um, a relationship with a BBC presenter, is it Nick Owen, and then your mentor, John Shaw. A word on them and the, oh. the move from professional sport into a different field. Well, I mean, it's, it's, basically it's my quest to never actually have a proper job uh, as, long as, I, as long as I live. Um, I was playing at Warwickshire. And Nick Owen, uh, former, you know, Good Morning Britain presenter, and, and he worked on Midlands Today, he would, he would come down and watch a session of cricket at Edgebaston and then go off to Pebble Mill. And we got talking, lovely man. I mean, just the loveliest. And he said, well, do you want to come down to the TV studios and, and watch a programme go out? Went, yeah, that sounds really fun. So he took me around Pebble Mill. And he, I watched the TV program going out live, and I was like, God, this is fantastic, because it's telling. You know, it's exciting. But he also took me around the radio studios, and that just blew me away. I'm thinking, my God, these people are talking to people in cars and at homes and keeping them company. And, you know, if a news story breaks, they, they've got it within seconds, and they can get the information out. And that was what really floated my boat. So when I moved to Leicestershire, the local radio station came down and does a, an interview with the new player. And they sort of said, well, are you interested in anything else? I said, well, I'm interested in doing a bit of radio, actually. Within a week, I was on their cricket show. Now, I'd always been able to talk. You know, I was a bit of a character, you know, supposedly around the county circuit by that stage. Because I loved the game. I was full of beans and I, you know, played with a smile on my face. And that, you know, I'd go back to being a youngster at 13 years old, playing in those male dressing rooms and having that little bit of banter. Well, now I'm, you know, 20 odd and have that lots of it in store. I always had a quip or a, or a joke. And so they put me on with a guy called Manish Basin, uh, doing a weekly cricket show on Radio Leicester. Now Manish went on to work for Central and then present Football Focus and now he's on Premier League World. Fabulous presenter, great guy. Um, but we had a right giggle doing the cricket show and, and, uh, and, and, and that's where it sort of stemmed from. So while I, you know, I used to go away playing in the winter, but I'd sort of got tired of doing that. So um, in the off season at Leicestershire, I went into Radio Leicester and learned, and learned how to do all of the, the, you know, how to use my voice, how to write a script, how to edit a piece, how to interview people, how to read a bulletin how to drive a desk, a radio desk and stuff like that. And the guy who helped me was John Shaw. And John Shaw was dead set Mr. Radio. The cleverest bloke I knew. Uh, you know, 
first from Oxford and, and but just loved sound. Lo he was an editor, really, but he loved sound and he loved cricket. And he used to do the reports for Radio Leicester. Would earn a pittance a year, but loved it, loved the radio and loved someone who wanted to learn. And, you know, nowadays, not a lot of people get trained, uh, in my opinion, and just get thrown on the, on the radio and sort of say, oh, well, you know, and learn on the job. For me, that doesn't work. I got trained by John. John wouldn't let me on air until he was happy. Just let that sink in. He wouldn't let me on air until he was happy. And it took me until he was happy and his standards were seriously high. He wouldn't let me on air for two years until he was happy that I could do it. And, and I am so grateful he did that um, because there was work to do. He, we would, you know, in the summertime while he was reporting on cricket, if it was chucking it down, we'd sit in my car and read scripts, learn how to use the voice and, uh, and uh, with peaks and troughs and, and uh, you know, feeling and, and tonality. And, you know, he set me up and he loved TMS. He absolutely adored TMS. He loved CMJ, he loved um, Arlott and Johnson and, and, and he loved, because he loved radio. And these guys were the best. Um, and, and Jonathan as well. And, um, you know, so, so John, was the guy that really gave me the tools to work on radio. Um, and I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now if it wasn't for John Shaw. He's in my head every day. He passed away um, four or five years ago. I was devastated, genuinely devastated. He was 55. And I still get upset thinking about it. And he is the voice in my head. I would do a stint on TMS and I'd be waiting for the text message what was good what was not so good he would feedback every single time to make me a more rounded broadcaster um you know you know people you'd come off and some people just turn around oh that was great that doesn't help that doesn't help me being you know that yeah. that being it maybe was great or whatever but i need to know i need to improve always looking to improve still do it today and want people to say what was wrong what could have been better could that stint could that story have been was that description okay it was and john would always do that so in my head now i would listen back to a piece i would listen to that back, back to myself now and think what would john think what would john say uh and and he is always the voice in my head so that was really the start of radio and so when I've been doing a few Saturday morning programs in the winter. I've been doing, um, in relief of other presenters, I've been doing sports bulletins as a, you know, in the winter time. So I was getting used to being on the radio. And so then when I had my injury in 2005, I got the operation was in 2005, you know, I'd got all the tools to be a broadcaster. I wanted to be a ball by ball guy. I loved painting pictures for people. I loved describing the game use of vocabulary and, and and just description and being company i love being company to be a social guy um and and being people's friend on the air so so i was doing commentary on 05s uh, on on leicestershire's t20 finals day in 05 down at the oval i'd done a little bit of sky as well uh, as a summarizer but i was i was doing that commentary whilst i was still 
theoretically in the dressing room. So um, it was that that really laid the foundations, but it was Nick Owen and John Shaw that, that you know, Nick, Nick gave me the inspiration to do it. John made me the broadcaster. What are the differences um, working in radio and TV in terms of, you know, talking to a picture, etc., or you say painting a picture with someone can't see it? What are the differences, etc.? I, I mean, they would seem difficulties, etc. That you fight, that you do. Yeah, they would seem. The differences would seem obvious. Your fundamentals are actually the same as a broadcaster. Um, weirdly, in radio, people think you've got to talk all the time. I've got oh, this dead air. I've got to fill it. No, you don't. No, you don't. People think oh, I'm on the radio. I've got to talk a certain way. No, you don't. You got to just talk people yes use your voice in a certain way yes emphasize certain things yes draw back from certain times you've also got a summarizer with you who you've got to have a rapport with so it's engaging to your listener it's the same in television what i and it's always you know the great adage of richard benno you know add to the pictures so it's you know saying enough without um without being obvious you know, great. I'm lucky that I'm working with Sky because they have got a seriously good broadcasting team. And so I speak to Ian Ward, I speak to David Lloyd a lot. And, you know, Bumble sort of does radio on the TV kind of thing, you know, and because people still want that humor, they still want that sense of familiarity, they want to feel comfortable. And they also want that insight and credibility, which he gives. Um, you know, Ian Ward, there's no better sports presenter in the country. By an absolute stretch, he's fabulous. Um, and why is he fabulous? Because he makes you at ease. I mean, I, I, Mark Chapman is another one. Claire Balding is another one. But they make you feel at ease, comfortable, um, uh, you know, on screen. And that's what you want to feel. You don't want to feel awkward. And Wardy does that. He, he just fabulous presenter and an excellent commentator butch is the same actually i think he's a fabulous broadcaster so the differences seem obvious you know there is of course more description uh on radio you've got to paint the picture for people i am the person's eyes i am your listener or as a listener i'm your eyes so it's not just my job to tell you about what's going on on the field but it's also my job to tell you where we are what i can see you know, that's the fun of it. Henry Blofeld, Jonathan Agnew, fabulous at telling you what they can see. Everyday life. Bus, you know, Henry was buses and pigeons. Why? Because it's what he can see. He gives you that perspective of where he is. A sense of place. Now, with TV, you don't need that. So you take that bit away. But quintessentially, you don't take a great deal else away. You have conversations with your summariser. You react to what's going out on the field. Um, and look, I'm not hugely experienced in, in television. You know, I've been doing it four years, five years, you know, probably did some with, with East Midlands TV. Um, different kind of television. But, but essentially, your fundamentals are the same. The way you use your voice is critical. Um, the way you have a rapport with your, with your fellow commentator. 
Um, so, and everybody, and each commentator is different. Each pairing is different. Knowing what, you know, I do a lot of lead. I don't do a lot of summary on Sky and on the BBC. I won't, I won't do any, um, uh, I won't do any summarising and stuff. I'm, you know, I'm the lead guy. I'm, I'm the broadcaster, if you like. Now, the fact that I played is neither here nor there. That's the position I feel more comfortable in because if I'm summarising, Nasser Hussain is leading and Nasser describes the, the shot or whatever and then I have to tell you why. Well, hang on a sec. There's a bloke who's played 100 tests for England. What do you want to know why? I, you know, what do you, why do you want to know that from me? I'd, I want to know what you think, Nas, not, you know. So it's, it's that sort of dynamic. So there are differences, of course, but each are as exciting as each other. Um, and then sometimes, you know, when you flip from one to the other, it is a little bit difficult. You know, uh, you know I remember doing the Women's World Cup last, uh, uh, back in England in 2017. <laughs> it was the first time I'd, I'd flipped from radio to TV in the same game. And uh, I went from TV to radio and I described, I remember describing one ball, um, forgetting to mention that the bowler was running in, forgetting to mention that the bowler had delivered the ball and I just went, oh, good shot. Oh, I better describe it for you. Kind of thing, it was that sort of, so, uh, so. but now obviously, you know, you get a bit more used to it. So yeah, there, there, there are differences, but, but your fundamentals, I think, remain the same. And your most memorable moment in broadcasting to date so far? Great question. Um, there's lots of fun moments. Uh, you know, you shouldn't... Theoretically, losing it on air and getting the giggles is supposedly unprofessional. Laughing when you shouldn't is one of the most, you know, is, is deemed unprofessional. It's the bit that everyone wants to hear. They do. They love it. Me and Graham Swan had a, um, you know, had a moment in the Champions Trophy, it was Australia versus Pakistan. No, Australia and New Zealand in the Champions Trophy. And he said some comment completely innocently, talking about water getting into the ball, and sort of saying the heavier the balls, the less the swing. And that just, and, and I just, my shoulders started, and then Swanee has a funny face anyway. He's, and we just lose it absolutely lose it and the more you try and gain your composure the more you lose it and it's genuinely funny and the listeners love it and you don't do it on purpose that's the key if it's scripted it's not funny that's the thing so it has to be you know organic um from a commentary standpoint you know so i love working with with certain people i mean i really do i love working with michael vaughan um you know I love working with Philip Tufnell, Ebony Rain for Brent, Mel Jones. Um, great, really good broadcasters. All, and I, I say this with all sincerity, all of the Sky broadcasters are absolutely top-notch. I love working with Rob Key. I think he, even though he's relatively new to it, I think he's one of the most natural broadcasters there is. I think he's fantastic. Um, you know, NASA and Michael Atherton, and um and bumble and wardy and butch and key you know all of that i'm sure i've missed some people out but you know all of them exceptional so it's what those those are memorable for me for just being with them but i think my, my my best commentary i always consider this my best commentary 
uh, was the Champions Trophy final. I was on radio uh, with uh, the BBC and it was India-Pakistan in 2017, I think it was. And I have to say, even I'm very, I'm very harsh on myself, but even me, I would turn around and went, yeah, I was really good that day. <laughs> it's very rare that I would say that. But maybe it was the bigger the game, that the, you perform a little bit better. You know, you know, India-Pakistan is a ridiculously huge game. Anyway, in any context around the world, you know, billions of people listening and watching. And I just remember get, calling the wicket of Virat Kohli, um, calling the wicket of MS Dhoni and just nailing it. And I, I, I would, I, I came off air and I went, and I listened back to it and I went, yeah, that, that was really good. And again, I can't stress, I never say that about my own commentary. I'm always very harsh with myself and, and very critical. Um, but on that, that day, I thought, yeah, that was, that was really good. And that's a nice feeling, you know, especially given the circumstances and the magnitude of the game. And then any advice that you'd give for youngsters, aspiring journalists, broadcasters to get into cricket? Is there opportunities? And do you feel that, I don't know, maybe it's an unfair question, but in terms of like, you see the, uh, the lead broadcasters out there, there's a lot of emphasis in cricket that you probably would have had to play the game. You kind of get yeah. that authoritarian voice, that dressing room feel. So it seems to be going that way, but are there other avenues in working in other ways to get in the game? In your opinion? I think so. I don't think, look, yes. And I think a lot of that, a lot of sport is going that way. You know, they're training broadcasters who are played, uh, sometimes not training them. Um, and, you know, I think that's, that's obvious. But, you know, I consider myself, I don't consider myself a former player, weirdly. Even though I have, I consider myself as a broadcaster first. Um, and I would get, I mean, Jonathan to a degree, but Jonathan, you know, did play at the top level. Um, but, you know, is he better known as a broadcaster and the voice of TMS? Yeah, I, I think that's a fair, fair call. And he's brilliant. I mean, he is. He is absolutely brilliant. He is the voice of TMS for a reason. Um, and he, but he left cricket and trained and learned. He trained at Radio Leicester. He worked for the Today newspaper as a, um, you know, a, a columnist uh, before going into the radio. So in cricket, it isn't as easy, no, if you haven't played the game, um, just because of the way it's going. Uh, but there are some really good broadcasters out there who do it at local level. Uh, a couple I'll mention, Mark Church from BBC London, who is a wonderful broadcaster. Never played the game at a professional level, but he commentates on all of Surrey's games. Scott Reid from BBC Manchester uh, and, and or BBC Lancashire. Again, a fabulous commentator. Um, you know, lovely way about him and describes the game beautifully. Uh, those two I would really sort of highlight as being really top draw broadcasters. So no, you don't have to have played the game. Um, I think it is more difficult. Let's be honest, it's a really good job. You know, it's, it's fun. And you get to watch cricket all day and talk about it. And so in that respect, 
people who give the right arm to do it. Um, the, the, my advice would be, much like, um, you know, going back to the cricket we were talking about, learn, get good. Don't expect things to happen for you and expect a little bit of sacrifice to go and do it. You might have to do a bit of unpaid practice or, or whatever. You know, practice, don't expect to, to get given the gig just because you like something or you've done a little bit. No, get really good. Be good at it. Is, is you know, work at local levels. Do the hard yards. You know, people say, oh, you work on TMS and stuff. Yeah, what people don't know is I did 15 years at Radio Leicester before doing it. You know, and did some bad broadcasts. I was pup, you know, in my younger days until you get good. Um, and you hope that you're in the right place at the right time and you're good enough to do it. And that's that's what you, you hope for, uh, that someone will hear you and think, ah, yeah, you've got something. The key is being yourself. That is the absolute number one. Do not try and replicate what Jonathan Agnew does, what I do, what Simon Mann does, what David Lloyd does. Don't replicate that. Be yourself. You can't do anything else. And as long as you are yourself, then you're giving yourself a fighting chance. That was Henry Blofeld's advice to me. You know, all you can be is yourself. Don't be anybody else or else you're going to sound like a fool, really. Uh, don't go on air thinking this is how a commentator should sound. Do your own commentary. And then, you know. So, you know, don't be afraid to, to do some lower-level radio. And I say that in inverted commas. It's not lower-level. All radio is valid. Um, and what is neither better nor worse than the other it's just the people involved i think there's some brilliant broadcasters in local radio i really do um i know someone on radio leicester who i think are outstanding broadcasters now they may not have the opportunity to go higher they may be happy at the level they are that's absolutely fine i could name two ben jackson and and and, and martin mallard and monica winfield at radio leicester now you might never have heard of them but these are staggeringly good broadcasters who have worked on Radio Leicester for donkey's years. Um, and, you know, they're around at every local radio station. So get in there, you know, do a sports shift, answering the phones, getting coffees, you know, just if you want it bad enough, you'll make it. That's that's my advice. But you've got to really want it and you've got to get good. Um, I'm not the finished article. In no way, shape or form, do I even believe I'm the finished article. No any. Because you can't be. It's impossible. You know, you think of Test Match Special. The voices that have gone before. Arlott, Johnson, Blofeld, CMJ, Tony Cozier, Jonathan Agnew. These are like poets. And you try to reach those standards. You never will. You never will. Maybe when you're dead and gone, you might have done, you know, but it's trying to reach those standards that they set makes you a better broadcaster and keeping on improving and becoming more rounded. So never think you've got it because you never have. Um, 
work hard. I know it sounds daft. Work hard. Be yourself. Well, perfect. Let's end it there, Charles. Really appreciate your time. Uh, great for your career and some fantastic advice you've just given there. So thank you very much. It's an absolute pleasure. Good talking to you, Lil. All the best uh, to you as well. And, uh, and yeah, good luck with the uh, uh, good luck with the YouTube channel. And uh, we'll be uh, we'll keeping tag tabs on you, and we'll uh, hopefully be seeing you somewhere soon. Perfect. So Neil Kagram, Cricket Last Stories, Charles Dagnall. Thank you. Thank you.